Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church's online worship for March 29th, 2020. We gather here uh, as God has called us, and we confess and we trust that God by his Spirit is with us, and that God by his Spirit is uniting us together as his people in Christ. And so we come to worship, come responding to the God who has created us and redeemed us. We'll have an abbreviated liturgy that we can go through together. Uh, Kayla White will be reading uh, scripture, and Jody, uh, our director of worship, will be leading us in music. Uh, my name is Chad Lewis. I'm the pastor at Lincoln Square uh, Prez, and I'm, we're thankful for a chance to worship together. Just one announcement or reminder that you can go to our website and find uh, a list of online gatherings, a way to connect. You also see a place there that you can uh, share your prayer requests with the pastors or request support. I invite you to go and visit that and, and share that uh, with the church leadership. Now, as we get ready to come and worship uh, by God's Spirit, let's take a moment of quiet to prepare us to come before God. Our call to worship is from Psalm 130. Please feel free to sing along with us. I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. My soul waits, in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all her his iniquities.
prayer of invocation. And as we've done in past weeks, I'll pray and and then have some time of quiet so you can bring your own personal needs or confession to God. I also encourage you, if you want to take a moment to stop the video, to have a kind of a personal reflection or check-in, or if you're worshiping with others, to check in with them. This would be a a good time to do that. Let's, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us here by your Spirit that you have called us to come into your presence and to remember that you are God and that in Christ we belong to you. Lord, we remember that you created us for companionship. You even said that it is not good for man to be alone. You made us for the sharing of burdens, for sitting at table together, for communication, for gathering and fellowship. So it is right that we should feel a particular sorrow in this time of isolation. In the absence of our normal connection, in the absence of our gathering together for worship, please grant us your presence. By your Spirit, let us feel and know the mysterious union that we share together in Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would use this time to awaken us a longing for you, a longing for one another, for communion and for worship. Lord, also in this time of social distancing and isolation, we pray that let give us thankful hearts for our families, our spouse, our roommates, our homes. Help us to be thankful for the technology that allows us to see and to hear one another. And Lord, we also pray that during this time that you would deepen a sympathy and awareness in us for others, especially for those who are often alone, who long for companionship. 
And when this season ends, Lord, let us be more intentional in the practice of hospitality. Let us be the reason that loneliness is lifted for a period of time for another. Lord, we pray you meet us by your spirit and comfort us. And Lord, we also, we witness an ever-growing number of sick and a growing number of our neighbors who have passed away. And Lord, we pray that you would comfort us in our mourning or our, our worries, that you preserve us in your, with your mighty power, that we not, may not be overcome by despair. And in our sorrow and worry and fear, Lord, let us speak and remember the words from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Lord, hide me in your shelter in this day of trouble. Conceal me under the cover of your tent. Lift me high upon your rock. And Lord, we pray and we remember those who are sick and suffering. We pray for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Lord, we also remember those who are unable to visit or be with loved ones who are sick. Lord, we pray a prayer of thanks for our medical professionals who are working to help heal and care for others. We pray that you'd protect them, that you'd strengthen them, and also that you'd be with their families during this time of stress and worry. Lord, we also come and remember those who are struggling with isolation or loneliness or addiction. We pray for families that are learning to live together or work together in close quarters. We pray for those whose livelihood and wages are threatened by businesses being closed. We pray for those who are unsafe, sheltering in their home. For those who are subject to abuse or discrimination. Lord, you know the needs that all of us have, and so we pray that you'd meet us and that you'd care for our neighbors. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson today comes from Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. And our New Testament lesson in the gospel uh, is of John 11, 17 through 27, and 32 through 44. All right, so Ezekiel 37. Um, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sent me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and then you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord so I prophesied 
as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, that they, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then John. All right. And then John uh, eleven seventeen through 27. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he had died, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. All right, and then John 32 through 44. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did not I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people no, people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, 
his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Bind him, unbind him, and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm thankful for a chance to look at God's word with you today. We're going to be looking at a passage from Colossians 1, uh, verse 15 through 23. Uh, But before we look at that together, just a a reminder that during this season of Lent, we have been reflecting on the truth that the spiritual life flows from God acting on our behalf. When we face isolation and shame because of sin or brokenness, or when we seek peace in the face of uncertainty, the key is to see beyond ourselves to the actions of God for us. The Apostle Paul, when closing his letter to the church in Rome, writes, May the God of peace be with you all. And Jesus, when he appears to his disciples after raising from the dead, the first thing he says to them is, Peace be with you. The God of peace, peace be with you. Peace, this is the idea of wholeness, of all the essential parts coming together and fitting together. And this is what we long for, and this is the gift that God gives us in Christ. And to know this type of rootedness, this type of wholeness, we have to look beyond ourselves, our plans, our resources, our goodness. And therefore, we've been looking at passages that have these transitional phrases in them, but God or but now. And these phrases are a way to mark a brand new existence, a brand new way of being as a result of God acting for us in Christ through his death and resurrection. And our passage this morning is an example of these transitional phrases. We'll we'll hear, in the end of our passage, we'll hear, once you were alienated from God, but now, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, through death, to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. So let's look at our passage. This is Colossians 1, verse 15 through 23. You can follow along in your Bible or just listen as I read. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace with his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, Do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that you have has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven 
and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you needing to hear from your word. Lord, grant us your peace by your word. Give us hope by the truth that is in Christ. We pray today that by faith that we may rest upon the rock of your certainty and the work that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, recently I've been reading a novel titled The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. And it's a story about a community on a small island. In this community, there is a mysterious organization called the Memory Police. And they choose, this group, they choose at random times to disappear items from the communal life of the island. Sometimes these items are tangible and inconvenient, such as boats or fruit. Can you imagine suddenly all boats and fruit are disappeared from communal life? And other times, these items that disappear go beyond the tangible. In the novel, for example, photographs disappear. All calendars disappear. And when these photos and calendars are taken away, there raises confusion around memory confusion around time. The novel, through the reaction of the characters when items disappear, the novel is inviting us to imagine or to think and ask, what does it mean for us to forget something? Or what does it mean for us to lose something? How do items, things that we interact with on a regular basis, how do they give us a sense of who we are? Now, I know that the scenario is not the same, but the novel seems, as I read it, to resonate with our current situation. When we lose events, lose our normal schedules, lose part of our work or our school, lose our ability to travel or to do the things that we had planned, when we lose our gatherings together, shaking of hands, lose hugging How does that impact us? What does it mean when these items disappear? I'm sure there's a number of things that we could observe or reflect on what that has meant to us or the experience of those close to us. But I want to highlight at least one thing that comes to mind, which I imagine that we can all agree with. I suggest that these disappearances have awoken in us an acute desire for connection. It's hard when we feel on our own, especially as we see stories about economic worries, sickness, and death, and that our separation makes these experiences even more difficult. The disappearing of our normal routines in life awaken in us our need to connect. The Tribune yesterday had a large Peanuts cartoon, maybe you saw it, Peanuts with Snoopy and his little bird friend, Woodstock, yellow bird, Woodstock. And in this cartoon, instead of the dog and bird being together as they always are as friends, in this one panel cartoon, Snoopy is sitting on his doghouse, and about six feet away, there is Woodstock in the nest and a tree apart. And Snoopy is saying, curse you, coronavirus. Maybe this is a lighthearted way for us to feel that connection. The things that are normally together are apart for this season. 
And you might say, to me, I already know that we need to be connected. We already know and value that connection. But I imagine for all of us, no matter how we think about this, this is a chance for us to have a deepening awareness of our need to communicate, to gather, to touch, to play together, to make music, to eat together, to teach face-to-face, to work together and build something together. And it's in this deeper awareness of our longing and our need for connection that we hear in our passage that God has acted to bring reconciliation and connection into the place of separation and isolation. It's in this passage that we hear God's work to reunite us, to reconcile us. And as we dwell on that, I want us to see three words that come at the last part of our passage. The words alienated, reconciled, and sheltered. So let's start with this first word, alienated. It means estranged or divided. We start with this reality that we are created through Christ for intimacy and connection with God, but we've ended up enemies, our passage says, opposed. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. Do you notice there is this interesting connection that our passage makes between our mind or our understanding of things and how we act and how it impacts relationships? Maybe one way to think about this as an example of our current circumstances, we can think about how we understand our relationship to neighbors. We can think about how we view life. Is life primarily understood about me making my way an individual journey? Or do we understand life in terms of connection, relationship, where we have a dependence upon one another, even a responsibility The idea that life could in some ways be summarized as loving your neighbor as you love yourself. See, the different understandings about how we would view life and our view of those around us lead to different actions. If we have a sense of connection or dependence, then this circumstances around us, this is a terrible situation, but it's an opportunity to show kindness, an opportunity to love our neighbors And to hunker down in our homes is not simply about fear, but it's about loving one another, especially those of us who are at risk or especially vulnerable. It's also a chance for us to think creatively about communication or generosity as a way to affirm our dependence, our connection to others. But if our mindset, if our understanding of life is more about our individual path or our individual actions of taking care of ourselves then of course it follows, it follows that my focus and how I act would be about my comfort, my plans, my boredom. I could see others primarily as a threat, as those who will maybe take supplies that I desire or who will be an inconvenience to me. And what our passage is inviting us to see is that when we have an understanding of that nature, it leads to actions in which we become enemies or estranged. And Paul, in our passage, is using that type of idea to apply to us in relationship to God, saying that, look, our first parents, 
Our first parents found that God was not trustworthy or they doubted his goodness and therefore it led Adam and Eve to acting on their own apart from God. In the same way, that is a part of our story as well that we all need to see as part of our story. That in some ways we all exchange knowledge of God for something less, for the pursuit of another goal or another God. We do not walk with God because we decide that there is another path or another goal that would be better. We've moved away and ended up alienated and on our own. We've reflected the last couple Sundays on this concept of boasting, of seeking what my source of confidence is, that all of us have a place that we go to give us a sense that we'll be okay. And where we seek our security, where we seek such refuge, impacts our actions. The way Paul summarizes it in Romans 1 is that we do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, to, to know God. And therefore, we began to walk in our own ways, doing what should not be done. And exchanging this knowledge of God for something less, we became people marked with greed, envy, strife, deceit, malice. We became people marked as gossipers, slanders, arrogant. No mercy or no fidelity. Once you were alienated from God. That's how the story begins. We were created for God, but in our mindset, understanding of God, in our actions, we became estranged. Once you were alienated from God, but now God has reconciled you by Christ. Here's a second word. Here we arrive at the transition of our passage. But now the Colossians find themselves no longer estranged, no longer enemies, but connected. But now. We've seen over and over again in these passages that this is the good news of God acting for us. In the face of our estrangement, God acts to bring reconciliation, to bring those who are outside in, those who are far off and lost, to bring them near, those who are marked with guilt and with shame and with foolishness, that they might know forgiveness and new life. See, God has acted, and at the heart of God's action is to bring you and me, those who were estranged and alienated, to bring us into his presence, reconciled to him. I want us to dwell a little bit longer on this reconciliation and for us to see the basis of it and also the results, the basis or the how. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. How did he do it? He did it by Christ's physical body through death. And when Christ is, when Paul says Christ's physical body here, he's saying that Jesus took on our flesh, took on humanity and all its brokenness. Jesus as the Messiah is fully identified with his people, with you and with me. This means he shares our fleshly existence, our fleshly experience. And even though Jesus is without sin, he takes sin's consequences upon himself. So Jesus is fully human. But along with being fully human, Jesus as the Son of God identifies fully with God. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So therefore you see these come together in Jesus. God identifies himself with the sins of humanity. The cross is the outworking of the explosive meeting between the holy God and human sin. Jesus and his cross is where the true God and true humanity meet. And it's in his death that our sin and our evil is dealt with. Our misunderstandings and our broken actions are dealt with. So now we are living reconciled to a a holy God. For he bears upon himself our alienation in his body on the cross. That is the basis. That is how God has acted to change things for you and me. And do you see the result in our passage? The result of this reconciliation is that Christ now presents you before God as holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation. This is part of the wonder of the gospel. Not that God has simply acted for you. That is wonderful. But even to see the result is that now, now you are declared in Christ to be without sin, to be holy, to be free of accusation, that all those would stand up and seek to shame you. The the law would stand up and say all the things you failed to do or that you did that were wrong. Those things have been silenced. For now you stand before God as holy without accusation. And this declaration is not because we have figured out how to be perfect or we've done everything right. This declaration is rooted in Christ's actions for you. And therefore, it is secure. All those who are in Christ are with God without shame and without fear. And this way, Christ is the beginning. He is the beginning of the life and resurrection, giving to us what he has accomplished, taking our sin and giving us his work, his righteousness, his life. So we've talked about alienation. We've talked about reconciliation And what we need to hear is that this is the gospel. Once you were alienated from God, but now, but now God has acted for you. But now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. This is the gospel and you and I are called to faith. Hear this proclamation of God's good work in Christ, and we are invited to receive it as a gift with open hands. It's interesting as we come to the third word, this word of shelter, that our passage describes faith, living in this connection, living in this reconciliation that God has done. Our passage describes it as sheltering in Christ, as continuing in what is stable and steadfast. The image here is living upon, building upon what is an enduring and firm foundation established by God for you. We are suddenly familiar with the word shelter, to shelter in place. And that's the same concept that we're invited in our passage to think about with faith. Shelter is a place in which we find a safe location to stay in until you are clear. And the word here is the idea that we find a location, a place in which we seek life, seek home, seek rest. 
And Christ is being presented as building this foundation, a foundation that is certain, that we can abide in, that we can build a life upon, a life upon what He has done for us. Knowing God's actions, knowing God as He's revealed in the Gospel, leads us upon that foundation to begin living as people marked with generosity, with patience, with humility, with grace and love, that we know what God has done as we rest in it, then we can go and do as He has done for us. Recently I read an author who was writing about the difference between canals and rivers. Canals and rivers. And I don't have a great deal of knowledge about this, but I do know what a canal is. A canal is this dugout path, an artificial waterway that allows a boat to move uh, freely and easily down a path. And this author writes, My dad often said that we all naturally expect life to be like a canal. A straight course, smooth sides, sailing with no waves or sudden turns. The author goes on to say, But instead, life more closely resembles a river. My father grew up near the Rogue River in Oregon, and we often camped along it. It's a wild river, fast-moving, hairpin turns, sudden drops that create waterfalls that are beautiful, but also challenging to navigate. It may be worst of all, huge hidden boulders that can wreck the bottom of a boat. Can you see in your mind the difference between the canal, the smooth sides, the straight direction, versus the river that's moving and turning and twisting? We expect life to be like a canal. But it's like the rogue river full of beauty, but also unexpected turns and dangers. And we know such twists and turns in a variety of personal ways, ways that we've experienced that ourselves. And that today we know this unexpected danger in a collective way, a common threat, a common uncertainty. And it's in this context that Jesus speaks to us and reminds us that we are not alone, but that he has reconciled us, even our, his enemies, he's brought to himself. But it's important for us to see in the life of faith that we're united to God, but this does not take us out of the wild river of life. It does not take us out of the twists and the turns. Rather, Jesus gives us grace to endure. He offers us a shelter that is secure, even in the rapids, even in the turns. The shelter is his own work. It's his own life laid down and raised back up. And he's inviting us by faith to put our life there, to shelter in Him. We are not on our own, but in Christ we're connected. So let us continue in the hope of the gospel. I don't know what it's like for you, but I imagine if you're like me, sometimes we hide our distress from ourselves or from others. As we think about this image of the river and of Christ being with us, we have to remember we serve a God who knows the details of how we are truly affected by the things around us. In the midst of these concerns, we're invited to turn to the actions of God for us, to turn to the work of Christ. In our sorrows or in our worries, in our mourning, in our fear, to speak the words 
from Psalm 27 that were part of our prayer time. Lord, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord, hide me in your shelter in this day of trouble. Conceal me under the cover of your tent. Lift up my head. Lift me up on a rock. The Christian faith is described as sheltering. And so it's a good chance for us to ask even now today, where is it that we shelter? Where do we turn to look for security, a firm foundation, something steadfast, something that we can build our life upon? The church, the church, we are those who rest in the resurrection of Christ. The church is not those who have figured everything out, not those who are stronger than others. The church are men and women people who rest in the sheltering care of God, expressed in Christ. So let us turn to the Christ that we may know his peace, a peace that endures, a peace that can rule our hearts. And in that peace, let us love one another and love our neighbors. Let us share our hope with one another and let us share it with those around us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are your steadfast love and kindness. We especially need to know it and hear it during this time. We pray that you give us ears to hear and that by your spirit that we'd respond in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing again together.
I invite you in confessing the faith together through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace now and forever. Amen.